Hello, welcome to the Young Fabian podcast. I'm uh, joined today by Nikki Adeleke, who has just recently been elected to the Young Fabian's NEC. So congratulations and hello, Nikki. Oh, thanks for um, having me on the show. I'm looking forward to some really um, interesting discussion. It should be a good evening. Yeah, so today we're joined by uh, Jermaine Jackman. What sort of things will we be talking about with Jermaine then, Nikki? Well, there's so much to discuss, really. There's the Black Lives Matter movement. There's um, Black History Month, you know, Black representation in the Labour Party and where we need to improve on all of those fronts. And how can we better improve teaching around Black History Month in the UK? Could I, could I ask you um, a bit about your experience in the, uh, in the Labour Party? As a uh, as a black woman, like, have you experienced any issues within the Labour Party? Um, um, I wouldn't say I've ever experienced um, out out racism as such, but I think the one thing I'll probably say I have experienced is where you're almost invisible, which can sometimes be worse than the upfront racism because it's almost like you're not there or your points aren't um, there to be discussed. And I think sometimes the mistake that we do make in the Labour Party is when we look at, um, like me, myself as a black woman, um, I give this example a lot, that if people were having a discussion on something that wasn't necessarily related to um, my gender or my ethnicity, then it's almost as if, you know, sorry, what are you doing here? Kind of thing. So people don't see past me being a black woman or people assume that the only things that I must be interested in are topics or discussions or events that are either related to um, gender equality or race relations. I feel like sometimes if I were to go to an event on, I don't know, the importance of artificial intelligence or something, you know, like that, and I had a point to make, then it's almost as if, you know, people don't really listen or they don't always take on board what you have to say. But if I were to go to an event on the importance of the Black Lives Matter movement, I wouldn't even have to put my hand up. People would just come to me and say, oh, what do you think? Mm, yeah. People just assume that because, you know, I'm a black woman, that anything that isn't related to my race or my gender is something that I either probably am not particularly interested in or they're not particularly interested in what I have to say. Tell us a bit about your background. And uh, I guess then sort of the, the issues you'd like to focus on in your time in the exec? So um, I work, in terms of my job, I work as a hospital um, pharmacist, so I work in, um, from the NHS, um, which has been um, nothing short of interesting this year. Mm. Um, in terms of politics, I wasn't, I mean, I was not somebody who was particularly politically active in school or uni. I didn't study politics or anything like that. I always used to kind of follow the news and politics and things but the time that I really started becoming more politically engaged as it were was when um after the 2010 general election and when Diane Abbott stood for um the Labour leadership because up until that point the only people I'd ever seen who were MPs or ministers or anything were white men yeah, yeah. so when I saw her so when she said she was standing it was almost like it, it sounds funny, but up until then, it kind of didn't click to me that there were black people in Parliament. And then I started hearing about David Lammy and, you know, um, Kate Osamore and, you know, all the rest. And up until then, I had not seen anybody from 
parliament who looked like me. So from that point, then I started getting more and more engaged and then, um, you know, joined the um, Labour Party and became quite active in my CLP, became a women's officer for a time. And then not a lot long after joining the Labour Party, I joined the Young Fabians. And in terms of my what I'd like to achieve in my time with Young Fabians, it's the thing that I'm very passionate about is improving the engagement and activism of women in the Young Fabians. And in particular, focusing on intersectional feminism, because I think whilst we could safely say that every woman in the world has faced one kind of prejudice or discrimination, no two women's experiences are going to be the same. So my experience is not going to be the same as um, somebody who is um, you know, LGBT or somebody who is disabled or someone who is older than me or younger than me and, you know, every other um, protected characteristic that I can think of. You know, my experience isn't going to be the same as a woman who has gone through a pregnancy or is a mum. But yet I feel like we almost kind of group together, you know, gender inequality and misogyny as to this one central thing. And it's not. Everybody's experience is going to be different. And I think we need to acknowledge that in women but also encourage women to not just only be interested in women's issues. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that, but we need to not just look at a woman and think, oh, you know, she must, the only thing she's probably interested is in um, gender inequality. Yeah, I I guess it goes back to what you were just saying about um, people sort of only listening to you when you're speaking out about black issues or or female issues, because that's, that's your, that's your identity. But, you know, you're, you're more than just that. You have like so many interests that you want to talk out about just as much or if not more. And mm. well, yeah, I mean that 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 sounds that sounds amazing, and I wish you the best of luck with all of that. Thank you. Uh, it's going to be a great year, I'm sure. Hi, everyone. We are joined by Jermaine Jackman. Uh, Jermaine is a political activist who's campaigned tirelessly for raising young people's voices in his community, as well as the representation of Black people at all levels through his work with Hackney Young Futures and the 1987 caucus, respectively. Uh, and he's currently standing to become a member of the Labour's NEC. Uh, however, some of our listeners may be familiar with Jermaine for his musical career, most notably as the winner of The Voice back in 2014. Jermaine's an incredibly dedicated, inspirational voice within the Labour Party, and it's an enormous pleasure to have him here with us today. So, hi, Jermaine. Hey, good evening. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming on. How's your campaign going, first of all? Yeah, it's, it's, it's going well. Um, you never really get used to campaigning because the political climate is so volatile and it changes all the time, so you don't really know what sort of arena you're stepping into. But one of the things that I've always and constantly focused on are the issues that face people, the issues that face the membership, and how we can overcome those issues. And by finding out those issues, it's about listening to the membership. And listening is a skill that I, I personally believe that the Labour Party doesn't do that well, or do that often, mm. uh, whether it's the General Secretary, right down to the ele- elected representatives, even to some of our CLP reps. Um, listening, we need to be able to listen more. We need to be able to learn more. And throughout this campaign, I've been able to listen, not only listen, but learn so much from so many people. I've always said, and I've never been afraid of saying, 
look, I don't know. I don't have all the answers and I don't know every single answer to every single political question you may pose to me. And I feel like you have to be honest by that. A lot of the individuals that we've seen throughout the years running for positions want to come across as the most intelligent person um, that, they, that they've ever met. And I don't want to be that person. I want to be the average Joe from your local community who wants to have not only their voices, but the voices of so many other marginalized communities heard at that top table in the NDC. And that's one of the reasons why I'm running. And that's why I find this campaign so informative and so insightful and so eye-opening because I'm able to listen and learn from so many different people. Mm. I mean, you'll be, if elected, you'll be the, is this right, the first black male member of the NEC in 120 years? Since the inception of the Labour Party, since the creation of the NEC, there has never been a man of African or Caribbean heritage on the NEC. Um, And that's a damn shame, in my opinion. Um, uh, Definitely from a party that waves the flag of equality and fairness and progressiveness uh, to be so far behind um, in terms of representation. And not just on the NEC, we can look at the leadership as well. Uh, We've made huge grounds in having the first female as the deputy leader. Uh, But you have to question when will we actually have a leader uh, for the party. Um, But there are issues on representation throughout the movement. Uh, my focus, and, and, and it, it, was, it was really hard-hitting when the 1987 caucus put out that uh, their findings that there has never been a black man on the NEC, and it, 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 it really solidified the reasons as to why I'm standing. Mm. There are gaps in our movement that need to be filled, and there are voids, there are voids in our movement where voices need to fill it. So you, uh, you founded the 1987 caucus, uh, which is named after the first black MPs elected in 1987. What is the aim? What is the main aim of the uh, work that the 1987 caucus does? Yeah, so you're you're absolutely right. I, I founded the 1987 caucus earlier this year, and that was off of the back of my bid to run for the NEC BAME rep. And through, while in that campaign, again, I was listening and learning from so many people, but especially young black men, because we saw at the time, um, there was a, a, a number of uh, high, there was a rise in knife crime, gun crime. Uh, we were seeing the stop and search um, statistics rising as well. And in our movement, young black men felt marginalized. They didn't feel like we, they had enough representation. They didn't feel like the issues that they faced were being voiced um, to our elected representatives. So I said, okay, I want to create an empowering space for young black men under the age or around the age of 30 uh, to empower one another, inspire one another, uh, provide resources, job opportunities uh, for all these young black men within our movement. And this group is still growing. And it's great that it's still growing um, because young black men are seeing the value of this space and how safe this space actually is. And the aim is to campaign for greater representation, not just for young black men, but greater representation across our movement at all levels of our party. Um, and that might be for, for Muslim women, that might be for young black men, that might be for our Jewish comrades. We are campaigning for greater representation, but particularly pushing the agenda of young black men and the issues and the concerns that they have um, to ensure that as our party begins to move and moves forward, we are taking into consideration the, the issues that 
marginalised voices and community space. I personally wasn't aware that there had never been a black male on the NEC, which is quite a shame, really, because we do pride ourselves on being the um, party of equality. We do pride ourselves on being the party that represents people from BAME backgrounds. Um, The vast majority of people that I know personally wouldn't dream of voting for anybody other than the Labour Party, even people who claim to not be particularly politically active. But if you were to ask them, you know, in a general election, who would you vote for? It's in their bones to vote for Labour and not for any other party. So I think we do have quite a long way to go. And I hope that the work that Jermaine is doing in terms of, you know, founding the caucus and in running will hopefully bring those issues to the fore and that those will get addressed. Yeah, absolutely. And Mickey, you touched on such an important point and one that I didn't raise earlier. And this is what a lot of ethnic minority members, and not only just members, but people outside of the party constantly feel, is that you don't engage with us throughout the year. The only time that you reach out to us and you engage with us is when it's time for a general election. You knock on our doors and say, oh, hey, we're from the Labour Party, we're just here to remind you that there's a general election tomorrow. So, and your polling station is down the road. Uh, We can come back again tomorrow to remind you again. So don't look at me as a voter. Hear me as a voice. See me as a human being, a human being that has issues, a human being that has ideas, a human being that has concerns, but a human being that wants to be a part of a movement that's potentially going to shape the country. Don't just come to me when it's time for an election and say, we need your vote. Be with me throughout the year to hear my voice. And that's the type of message that we should be pushing, not just for um, the black community or ethnic minorities, but for everyone around the country. Even when we think about the way we canvass sometimes and we knock on doors as a movement, it shouldn't be around election times. It should be throughout the year to say, okay, what issues are you currently facing? And how can we as Labour activists, the Labour Party, campaign and try and improve your life? We should be there 24-7 knocking on those doors, talking to residents, finding out the issues that are actually on the ground uh, and, and not just in time for an election. And because a number of ethnic minorities, especially ethnic minorities, uh, constantly feel as though they take me for granted. They're like, oh yeah, no, we, we can bank on the black vote. That's definitely going to come through um, in the general election. And, and but, okay, yeah, I might be voting Labour, but I actually have opinions too on how you can improve. And too often we don't listen to the, to the places where we can improve. Look, we, we've just had uh, 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 the EHRC, I always get the, the letters mixed up, sorry. <laughs> we just had the EHRC report. We had the Labour League, we got the Ford Inquiry. We've got all of these documents coming out that show us we don't listen to our membership enough. Their voices and the concerns that they have are not included in the decision makings that we take. And that needs to change. Yeah, I think it's always quite interesting how um, um, a local council or a local authority, when they want to do something that involves hearing their residents, you know, they'll set up a meeting at 5.30 on a Wednesday. But when it comes to election time, that's when we're prepared to go to them. Because if we wait for them to come to us, you know, people have got other responsibilities. People have work, people have um, caring commitments. You know, people have got lives outside of politics. And I think that's also something that people need to recognise 
when it comes to um, political engagement. Like you said before, we need to not look at them just for the fact that they're able to vote, but we need to look at them as people. We need to look at them as human beings and recognise that, you know, they've got people they care about. They've got um, things that they're thinking about, which may not necessarily be political in inverted commas, but that doesn't necessarily mean that as politicians or as people who are politically active, we can't still have a positive impact on them. It would be nice if, like you said, when we're door knocking, if we actually went and said, okay, what issues are you facing? Because I think when you do that, the things that you hear from them can sometimes be quite surprising. I mean, I've been a um, CLP women's officer and one of the things I did was set up a women's forum. And this was at the time where violent crime across London was at its peak. And, you know, I thought people were going to come to me and say, oh, you know, they're having issues in, you know, misogynistic comments in the workplace and, you know, just um, things like that. And people were concerned about knife crime. People were concerned about fly tipping. They were concerned about, um, you know, they didn't want to send their kids to school and then for th to hear that they'd been involved in some kind of um, violent activity, you know, just things that you don't, that, I, that at that time weren't necessarily priorities for me as such, but it was, but there were priorities for them. And if those things hadn't been mentioned, then, you know, those can be so easily overlooked. And from that, we were able to, you know, get our assembly members to kind of address those issues and speak to the women and, you know, put their minds at ease. And I think that's more of what we need to do. We need to be prepared to go and speak to them and say, what are you worried about? Rather than think about, okay, what are we worried about? Okay, we're worried about you know, we need to go out and try and get as many people as possible to vote for us. The constituents are the bosses of politicians. And I think that we should adopt that kind of attitude. Absolutely. And I guess my, my last comment on it would be a way to measure it is whenever you knock on doors, who's talking more, you or the resident? That's the way to measure it. If you're doing all the talking, there's an issue. <laughs> you should be doing all the listening. The resident should be doing all the talking. Mm -hmm. Going back to what you were saying about sort of the Labour Party taking black voters for granted, you know, just assuming that you'll turn out to the polls and vote for us when election day comes. I think I heard you speaking on the uh, Social Review podcast uh, a few months ago talking about the danger of the Conservative Party sort of angling themselves as the party of diversity and representation because, you know, they, they have more black male MPs than Labour. They have a much more diverse cabinet. Uh, I think you described it as uh, superficial. Is, is that, do you see that as a real danger for the Labour Party? Oh, 100%. 100%. The, the Conservative Party right now are analysing the Labour Party. They're looking at them up and down, left and right, and seeing what are the areas in which Labour are failing and how can we maximise on that. That's why the Conservative Party have now moved their head office to Leeds because they, mm. they're trying to build on the red wall and turn that red wall into a, a blue wall. And we don't want it to be a blue wall <laughs> at all. Yeah. And that's why they're pushing, you would have seen they're pushing this narrative of, oh, Labour Party don't want um, uh, successful diversity or successful ethnic minority. You see what they're trying to, to do here. They're trying to capitalize on the areas in which labor are failing and labor are too busy fighting themselves to actually realize. Yeah, yeah. They're too busy. I, I studied, um, there was a module at my university called 
the Labour Party since 1945. And it looked at all of Labour's defeats and how party unity was one of those reoccurring themes. The Labour Party are two, I've never met a set of people who fight one another than actually fight the enemy. I've never met a set of people who, who bicker amongst one another and don't think about, okay, well, how can we actually unite and improve ourselves? Yeah. And, the, and the Conservative Party are literally sitting back and saying, look at, look at them. <laughs> look at yeah. them. Why yeah, yeah. out of our weaknesses? You expect black and ethnic minorities to continuously vote for you when, and, and I, will call, I will call individuals out, when Keir Starmer has said Black Lives Matter is a moment and defunding the police is nonsense. And from, in my personal opinion, I would have preferred for a leader of a political party to put forward the conversation rather than shut it down completely. You've got the changes in Chapter 14 that talks about BAME branches and all CLPs, but no guidance has been sent, sent out. You've had the recommendations of the Dem Democracy Review for over two years now, which talks about BAME structures throughout our movement, but those have not been implemented. We now have a BAME rep on the NEC that no ethnic minority in the party knows about. No one knows who she is. I'm yet to come across an individual who's voted for her yet. She was placed there by the trade unions and not consulted ethnic minority trade unionists, but by, by white general secretaries. You've got, the, you've got black and ethnic minority members leaving the party en masse, mm. coupled with the issues that they face outside of the party, in local communities, poverty, deprivation, inequality, disproportionality, stopped and search, health, housing, education. And then you have the Conservative Party yeah. coming along. Oh, well, we've got, uh, we've got ethnic minorities as Chancellor, Home Secretary running for the mayoral candidate, running for, for, for mayor. Blah, 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 blah. We've just set up a racial equality commission. What do you expect? So my message, if it, out of the last four-minute rant that I just went on. Out of that, I guess my, my message is, at what point do we wake up and realize that we are failing ethnic minorities within our movement? At what point do we realize that the Tory party are pulling and picking out of our weaknesses, but we are too busy fighting one another to realize it? And this is why I get so angry, passionate, and driven because what we have around the NEC right now is a bunch of labor heads so deep with their heads in the holes, the labor holes, that they don't know what's going on in the real world. They don't know what's happening and what their opponents are planning. Yeah. They don't know what members are actually saying because they're so entrenched in factionalism and so entrenched in towing a particular line, they don't, they don't ignore what members are actually saying. Now, like when I'm running, when, 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 while I run for the NEC, I'm saying that I want that to stop. I'll call out whoever I need to call out. I will support leadership because I want to ensure that we have a radical Labour government more than a Tory government. I would rather see Keir Starmer as Prime Minister any day than Boris Johnson. Yeah. So I'm going to do everything I can to ensure that while ensuring that I hold him to account every single step of the way ensuring that he is transparent with our members every single step of the way to ensure that we democratize our movement 
Our movement is accessible. And most importantly, that our movement is inclusive, so every member feels welcome. And that's the reason why I'm standing. That's why I get so wound up. We've seen over the last couple of weeks the state of our party. We spent the last week and a half fighting one another. And, and I, literally, I'm not going to lie with you guys. This week, I literally did sit back and I was like, is this the Labour Party that I joined? Is this the movement? A movement that isn't even moving? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's what it feels like. It's not moving. If anything, we are moving. We're moving backwards. We're not making progress. We're moving backwards every single every single month. It feels like something new is happening. Sorry, I know I'm, I, I know you guys didn't bring me on to rant, and I apologize. <laughs> no, I no. Have to off my chest. Everything you're saying is is spot on, in my opinion. I think all these all these factional arguments, like the the wider public, don't care about at all, and the people who need the Labour government the most care about. Small factional issues. Do they care about all this? Louis, you hit the nail on the head. You hit the nail on the head. The people around the country who desperately, desperately need a Labour government, we're doing them a disservice. Think about those families, those mothers and those fathers and those carers who are about to be made redundant. Think about those people who have just lost family members or their siblings or their partners to coronavirus. Think about those people who are struggling to make ends meet. Think about those people who are on zero-hour contracts. Think about those people who are losing their lives to gun and knife crime. Think about those people who have to wake up early to make sure they get to the food bank on time to ensure that there's actually cans of food there. Those are the type of people that desperately need a Labour government. And we are doing them a disservice by fighting one another. I know we didn't come in here to talk about infighting, so I apologise. No, it's, um, I mean... You make a great point. I think it was the Open Labour podcast. Uh, you, you, you went on there and said a great analogy, a musical analogy. Like sometimes you have to sing a melody you don't like, but we're all singing from the same hymn sheet and we all want to get the song to number one. And I mean, I'm, I'm a musician myself. So like hearing that sort of link between music and politics and seeing someone like you who who has that connection, it's, it's, it's refreshing. And it's, I mean, the message is absolutely true. That's a really important thing absolutely. to overcome. I, I, I totally forgot I even said that. That's a good, I need to write that down. <laughs> I need to write that down. Oh, I should have stolen it. Uses my own. But this, this is the thing. For example, if we're going to go into the, the music world, Whitney Houston, for example, she hated I Would Always Love You. Mm. When it took her to number one, she sold millions of records around the world. She was touring off of that song and that, mon- that song was giving her money in her pocket. So she made sure that she had to sing that song. Now, I'm not saying that we sell our values and our principles just to get to number one. That's not what we do. But you understand and you make some compromise and you make the song your own. And that's what I feel like we're so, we're failing to do. We're failing to have that discussion with ourselves to make it our own. To say what does, it can't be, labor isn't this or it's that. It's emerging of everything. We make it our own in order to become number one and we bring the country with us. Right now, we're, we're still trying to pull the soul of the party to different places instead of saying, okay, well, actually, let's have a conversation about this. I think that there's a lot of very valid points there. I mean, in re- relation to the 
Black Lives Matter movement. I don't know if anybody has seen, there's this um, advert that was around like in the last few weeks. I can't remember exactly what the point of the advert was, if I'm completely honest with you, which means it probably wasn't a very good advert. But um, the one thing that sticks out from it is, um, you know, George the Poet? Yeah. He has a line in it where he essentially says, imagine having to explain why your life matters. And that is what the Black Lives Matter movement is that it's called, it's, you're having to explain why your life is as important as somebody else's, which should not be happening in the 21st century, quite frankly. And it is a shame that I think the Labour Party does, to an extent, take the um, BAME vote for granted. I think it was um, quite interesting that I don't know if anyone, I don't know if either of you watched um, Question Time last week, the um, the spats between Bonnie Greer and... Um, Chris Phillips, yeah. the um, MP, where, you know, I feel like the, you know, I feel like, Jermaine, you do have a point when you say that the Tory party are, they may seem to have a more diverse um, cabinet and all the rest, but are they actually making effective change? Or is it just so that they can just say to us that, oh, we've had the first, you know, we had the first um, female prime minister, we had the first, the second female prime minister, we've had the first um BAME Chancellor and BAME Home Secretary and all the rest. But are the people on the ground, are the people who are part of the, um, who identify as BAME, are they actually seeing a difference in their day-to-day lives? Are they seeing themselves being treated in the workplace the same way as their white colleagues? Are they being paid the same way? Are they getting the same conditions as their white colleagues? Are they getting the same opportunities? Are they um, being discriminated against because they've got... um, a foreign name rather than an English name? Are they being, you know, stopped and searched unnecessarily because they did a fist bump in the street with one of their friends? Are they being treated differently simply because of the colour of their skin? Because like Bonnie said, it doesn't, you can have, um, a f- you can have all of the BAME shadow ministers and um, great officers of state as you like, and then turn around and say that, oh, but you know, we had the, we had the first this and we had this and we had that. But has it, has anything changed? If it has changed, then it hasn't been for the better. So from that perspective, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if the um, Chancellor of the Exchequer is BAME. It doesn't matter if the Home Secretary is BAME. If you're going around and sending around vans saying, go home or we're going to deport you. Nikki, you are completely right. Because if we think about some of those structural and institutional barriers and obstacles we face as black people, To tackle that, we don't need black and brown faces in high places. It's far more than that. It's an anti-racist mentality we must adopt. It's actually putting things into plan, into motion. This government is still presiding over a hostile environment, despite the Windrush scandal. This this government is still pushing an anti-migrant rhetoric. We're, we're, we're still seeing all of this, despite having Priti Patel and her family uh, fleeing Uganda as asylum seekers to come, in, um, to come into this country. And she can then preside over a hostile environment. Then have Wendy Williams to put through the, the lessons learned review. But then the week after that, still vote on an immigration bill. They're not learning. So black and brown faces don't mean anything. And that's why I say it's superficial, especially what the Tory party is doing. But we cannot let the Labour Party off the hook. 
because the Labour Party would love to put down in writing, we're here for equality and fairness. We're here for representation. <laughs> but the Labour Party is so far behind of that. So, in, for, so my message to the Labour Party is always this. It might look great on paper, but it's not working in practice. So um, Black History Month was, I feel like, Funnily enough, do I feel like I learned a lot of black history during the many black history months I went through in the British education system? I could probably partially recite Martin Luther King's I Have a Dream speech. And I could talk about, you know, the 25 years that Nelson Mandela spent on Robben Island. But there's a lot of black British history which is not taught in schools and that is a great shame because black people have contributed to the building of this country there are records that show that black people have been around since the roman times you know i a lot of my i myself and a lot of my friends who are also black have had to take it upon themselves to educate themselves about black british history you know i didn't know up until i read um david olisaka's book um Black and British, that Queen Victoria actually adopted a black girl. You know, you would think that something like that should be part of um, the history curriculum, and it's not. You know, there are a lot of um, black authors in this country that we don't read about. There are a lot of um, black people who have made discoveries and who have contributed to British society that we simply don't know about. And I think What's, what's potentially worse than discriminating negatively against someone because of the colour of their skin is not acknowledging them at all for the colour of their skin. Because if these same people were not black, we probably would be learning about them, but we're not. Like we learn about the enslavement of um, Africans, but do we actually go into detail and do we actually acknowledge the role that the British Empire played in that we don't and some people would say that if we were to do that then we would be anti-british i don't think it's anti-british to acknowledge that you know the past of the british empire is not completely rosy because if you don't learn about the horrors that have happened in the past we don't have a way of making sure that those things don't happen again this year is probably one of the best years i've seen in terms of um, black history month in the sense that a lot of companies and a lot of organizations have actually been, you know, talking about different people and, you know, the contributions that have been made. I think the other day I saw that um, Sky News ran a story about the first black woman to have a number one. Sadly, like so many other things, she, her name just seems to have disappeared from the history books. You would think that those names are names that we should be familiar with and we're not. So I think that one that when we look at black history, we actually need to focus on black British history rather mm. than just talking about, you know, the big American names or, you know, um the anti apartheid. We need there's there there is such a thing as black British history. And I think that that needs to be acknowledged, it needs to be taught, and it needs to be celebrated if we are going to call ourselves a truly um integrated, tolerant, multicultural country, because how can you tolerate someone when you don't really know them? Or you're not prepared to learn about them and learn about their history? Sis, completely agree with every single thing that you said. 
every single thing that you said. When we think about the level of racism, I, I, I'm talking about that racism where it's in your face, outspoken racism, where someone can call you a name on the street, the hate crime type of racism. And when we think about the amount of ignorance that's in our world, you, you know, when Windrush happened, the Windrush scandal happened, the word Windrush was Googled so much during that time because people didn't know. I, I know about King Henry VIII and all of his wives yeah. and how he killed all of his wives. <laughs> now, why would I need that information? What, is that, what value does that add on to my life? But they are erasing, manipulating British history. And I find it very ironic because that's been the same narrative from this government this year. When we saw some of those statues come down in Bristol, when we've seen debates and discussions about those same statues, because we're having it here in Hackney as well, because we've got a statue of Sir Robert Jeffrey, um, who was a slave trader, um, and his statue still presides in Hackney, where we have elected the first black female to parliament. People, the government's put out their statements, no, we shouldn't be erasing history. You've been erasing history since the t since 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 that's <laughs> like since day one yeah like you have been erasing history you have been manipulating history and you have been force feeding this 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 form of history that isn't true that's very one-sided that's written by the colonizers and not the colonized mm -hmm. so this black history was very important because of the year that we have just had where it sold the disproportionate deaths. And I think that coronavirus was devastating, but it showed to the community, it showed to the public that we can all go through the same thing, but because of your skin color, have different outcomes. And it put it so plainly because I felt like the wider society couldn't really understand how is this possible? You put out statements like black women are five times more likely to die while giving childbirth than their white counterparts. And people couldn't comprehend, how is that possible? Are they having more home births? Oh. This is some of the rebuttals that we're hearing. So when we actually put forward the conversation of institutional and structural racism as the reason why we're having these disproportionalities, and an example of that is coronavirus that we're all facing, but black people are dying at a disproportionate rate despite them only making up 13% of the population. That really came across. Now marry that with the Black Lives Matter movement, the death of George Floyd, which also put it plainly across that anyone can be stopped and, and arrested by the police, but you're more likely to be killed at the hands of the police if you're a African minority, not just in America, but also here. That also hit the public real hard. So this black history was definitely the most important one in terms of racial progression, in terms of the discussion and debate around race and racism, but it was also a reminder just how far we have to go. Kemi, the Minister for Equalities, I believe. Oh, that's, that's a whole nother... <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I need to wash my mouth out now that I said the name. Uh. I need to wash my mouth out because... That's how far we need to go. And that goes back to our conversation, Nikki, that we just had about black and brown faces in high places, but you're more detrimental to the movement than white people are. <laughs> like, how do we actually move forward? 
My thing is we shouldn't be having Black History Month. Black History is British history, and we should be having that throughout the year in our education. I, I when I won The Voice in 2014, I was the first black man to win any singing competition this country has ever had. Any televised singing competition, X Factor, Britain's Got Talent, The Voice, uh, all the, what was the other one back in the day? Fame Academy. A black man has never won. Lamar was close. Lamar never yeah, won. Yeah, he, right. he came close. Do you know what? Now he I think close. about it, I can't think of any. So we are still making history in this in modern times. And yet there are so many talented black singers who get celebrated. Right. But then but Sam Smith's Sam Smith's given the Sam Smith's given the pedestal. I remember I had an, a night out with Sam Smith one time, and Sam said to me, "He said, Jermaine, but you can like, you can sing me under the table any day." And I said, "Well, you need to understand there's a thing called racism. They'd prefer a white person who can sing like a black person." Uh, you know what? That's very stereotypical, <laughs> but you know what I mean. <laughs> you I know do. what I mean. I do. You know what I mean. The Adels, the Jesse Js, they'll give them, name me. A black British female singer in the charts. In the charts like Jessica Lynn, in the charts like Adele, in the charts like LMA. Name me a dark skinned black woman. Name me a dark skinned black male singer. So we need to understand that racism is embedded in every single industry, in every single sector, in every single part of society. But in order for us to really understand how racism works, in order for us to understand how structural and institutional racism works, we need to have it embedded in our education system. We need young kids to grow up understanding. And the only pushback I'll give back to Nikki, and this is not a criticism, this is not a pushback, is I don't want to be tolerated. I don't want people to be tolerant of black people. I don't want people to be tolerant of migrants. Mm -hmm. I need a society to be accepting and to see me just as you see yourself. When you see my black body, when you see my black skin, you see me as a human being. And that's why we need this embedded in our education system. To understand, yes, they have different experiences because of the oppression that they face because of the color of their skin. But through education, we can change that. Slavery, colonialism, imperialism, genocide. Britain needs to be honest with itself. The first ever, we talk about um, the Holocaust and concentration camps. The first ever concentration camps known to this planet were created by the British in Kenya. And it's not about depicting Britain in a bad light. But what I can say is painting the full story. Look, I'm 25, I haven't done, I, wouldn't, I, I can say that there are things in my past that I wish I hadn't done. There are things in my past that I wish I'd done differently. But I use that to shape my future. I grow from that. Now, I'm not talking about the, the crimes against humanity as mistakes, because those are gross crimes against humanity. But how do we build from that? How do we rebuild from those? We learn about our past to know where we're going. I've learned from my past, so I personally know where I'm going. But this country can't even accept its past. So how can it begin to learn from its past in order to know where it's going? And I just hope and pray that our party can remain as anti-racist as possible. Push forward the agenda of having critical race theory, race and racism, 
the discussion of colonialism, imperialism, and slavery, but also black British history and the moves that we have made. Because remember, in this country, we also had no blacks, no dogs, no Irish. We have the Bristol bus boycott. Mm. You have the grind of, of housing to black people. That's why Malcolm X had to go to Smithwick because they were denying housing to black people. And then on his return back to America, he was assassinated. We have such rich history here in this country that need to be taught. So we need to accept where we're going. But before that, we need to know where we've come from and accept everyone, not just tolerate everyone. Yeah, that's that's so well said, Jermaine. And there's so many great points you've just made, especially like, you know, Britain needs to learn from its, not mistakes, but you know, its, its past and its history. And we've got a government at the moment that is actively telling that history in, in a very romanticized way and then accusing other people of erasing history. And yeah, you, you know, you've totally agree with everything you've said. And before I let you go, I think let's try and end on a sort of positive note, um, sort of related to uh, Black History Month. I'd like to ask you, who is one figure or a few figures who have influenced you, whether it's uh, throughout your journey as a political activist or as a musician or so in the world of music when i was growing up we really i, di- I really didn't have many male black male singers that i could look up to who sounded like me um we had there was r kelly but you don't really want to be aligned you know, with r. Kelly. <laughs> <laughs> we had michael jackson as well but you don't really want to align yourself with him either problematic past <laughs> Um, but there was a singer that there was a singer who passed um, maybe about fifteen years ago now, Luther Vandross, mm. and I absolutely loved his voice, loved his aura. Um, but also Paul Robeson, who was a singer and a political activist. Um, Paul Robeson and Luther Vandross really do it for me, um, and as a baritone as well, I love that low old man river. <laughs> I love that old that's that soulful sound. So those are my, my inspirations for music. And politically, Bernie Grant, Diane Abbott, with a shadow of a doubt, mm. um, and the waves that they have made, pushing for representation, um, but also con- for Diane to continuously uh, carry the torch and lighten up those areas um, of political discourse and discussion around race, racism, and what our country should look like. The things that Diane has taken on um, in her 33 years in Parliament um, is commendable. And there is no one like and no one whoever will be like Diane Abbott. Um, And she continues to inspire me from the age of six years old when she visited my primary school to the age of 25. She continues to inspire and empower me. Brilliant. Well, thanks so much, Jermaine. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on. Thank you so much for having me. It's been great. Nikki, thank you so much for, for being a part of the conversation too. I really do appreciate it. That's a pleasure being on. It really has been. It's been a really interesting conversation. Thank you guys so much. Um, and take care. All the best. 